Welcome to the Media Mavens podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Axis Entertainment, your host of Media Mavens podcast. Super excited to have Daniel Puzni, the CEO of Luna One, calling in from Australia. Hi, Daniel. Thank you for joining us and good morning. Yes. Hi. Good morning. It's, uh, it's morning for me in Sydney. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful morning. So it's always a good way to start the day. Yeah. A little bit of coffee and I'm good. I am so excited to have you here. You started the company all in the metaverse. There's so much noise in the metaverse and everything. And I know being in Australia, there's so much more going on around the world than just here in the U.S., but yeah. I love that. Like, like, let me ask you a question, though. I mean, just going to kick right in here. Okay, good. Just going to kick right in. with This is a lot to um, unpack in a short time frame. Like, do you feel the metaverse? Because I know in the United States, there's so much, so much ambiguity. There's so much unclarity. Nobody's really defined the metaverse. And then you drop yeah. in the whole crypto scams and all the hemorrhaging of money. The SEC yeah. coming down. A lot of these guys are trying to put their monies offshore. The SEC just made a ruling a few weeks ago. Any any U.S. company attached to an NFT or anything has to go through SEC yeah. regulations and interviews. I mean, they're cracking down to the point to where the feds have a task force now for this whole thing. We see this news. We know it's global. I mean, in your opinion, is it just, just because it's such a crazy place being in the United States and it's so easy? Uh, yeah. Do you see this? <laughs> Is this just an industry-wide global issue or are you seeing it in just certain parts of the world? Yeah, I mean, you know, since I got involved in the blockchain industry 2014, 2015, one of the, the big issues was always uh, with the SEC and, and, you know, other regulatory bodies around the world is basically is the token or the coin a security or not? And in the event that it's a security, then obviously it requires certain licensing to happen. But, you know, major coins like Bitcoin and Ethereum have been able to steer clear of this because they're not a security. And we get definitions of what is a security and what isn't. And I guess you can put it in very simple terms. A security from the SEC point of view, from a regulatory point of view, is when you're actually promising a return. So in, in, just as an example, the project that I'm working with now, the company Luna One, we call our token a utility token because it allows you to enter our metaverse. It's basically you spend it inside our platform. But other projects where you know they're promising that you will make money, you know, from the token or the coin, then suddenly you've fallen into regulatory hell. And in terms of you know the SEC compared to you know the rest of the world, I think that the US are very very progressive. In fact, it was the USA that had that were the first country in the world to introduce the insider trading law. And the first iteration of that was back in the 30s. And insider trading law in the UK was only introduced in, I think it was about 1984. And actually at that point, it was basically a slap on the wrist. So I think the US has always been very progressive. And the, the way that I've sort of look at this as the more people that you have in your population and the more that people could potentially be scammed or could potentially be disadvantaged, then the more the government will want to enforce regulation. So this is why countries like Greece, the Seychelles, 
Mauritius, you know, they have very, very loose laws around these things because they want to attract the investment. And, and at the end of the day, it's not going to affect too many people. Yeah, there's so many scams. And we're not talking like a few hundred, a few thousand. We're talking numbers of, you know, in the billions of P- and yeah. people just vaporware. And so I know yeah. like besides SEC, like for startups, if you're putting out an NFT or any kind of coins, you metaverse, you have to jump through self because we have a few companies in this space and we've got to yeah. jump through hoops for them as our agency because yeah. a, if their transparency on a few things are not checked off, they won't even put a press release out. They'll block it because we, the media, cannot put anything out that they cannot back that's not justified transparency yeah. where it's coming from because a lot of people were using it as a tool to kind of manipulate the market, make billions of dollars, then they just bailed out. And yeah. But I feel like, you know, because I have a wallet, you know, I, we know the metaverse and have clients in this space. I just feel like there's like, there's really no good way to tell. I mean, the smarter the technology is, the smarter the hackers are getting. And I just don't know if there's any really two or three good things to tell somebody before you mm-hmm. invest, before you start buying your avatars. And, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. you know, I know Mark Cuban had, you know, made a very bold statement, spending money into virtual real estate is bullshit and a waste of money because it's um, a lot of money. So I, we're just seeing so much out there because yep. and I'm, there's a lot, of, a lot of people don't even really understand how the DAOs and the metaverse and the walls worlds really, really work right now. And I think it's just that lack of education and yeah, yeah. a new craze, a new pretty toy cash grab. And it's not that at all. Yeah, you know, look, Mark, Mark Cuban is known for being very vocal. And, um, you know, on this, I, I don't really see that he has a lot of credibility, you know, spending all these years on Shark Tank and then basically admitting that he's never made a dollar out of any of those projects. So he obviously doesn't have very good. Uh, so, know, so, 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 so one, I mean, I know Mark, too. I know a lot of those guys. That yeah. is necessarily not true to a certain extent because I can invest in a lot of startups. Or we have a lot of, we're a PR firm and we always get offered stock options. And we started to say no a long time ago because 0% yeah. of nothing is nothing. We could do the most tremendous job. But if CEOs don't know how to lead or whatever reasons, I lose money and time. So from an yeah. investor standpoint, because we deal with them, but starts as a PR firm, we look at our clients the same way. It's time, it's money, it's investment that may not go anywhere. So, okay, so two things. One, he's very tech savvy. He knows the market. He has lost a lot of money, but every investor, every VC company around the globe who invests in startups, Series A rounds, B rounds, family angels, they all lose money on companies. It is what it is. I just, yeah. I think it's about not, I think it was taken up context with him too, which me is all about. It's not yeah. that it's bullshit. It's, it, there was probably the rest of that sense that the media cut off and I know the guy. So I know there was more to that. It is bullshit when people think, hey, I'm going to go spend all this money in crypto and NFTs. I spent a hundred dollars and now my board ape is worth 5 million. It's just like this, oh my God, rough COVID. We have this new craze. We can make instant cash, instant money. It is bullshit. You got to know what you're doing. You got to understand what the metaverse and what the market is. And I feel like there's very few companies who are articulating and defining the space, which is why I was excited to have you on because you have a lot of background in fintech and blockchain and you guys are coming out with Luna One, which is a metaverse company. Hmm. 
and everything. Yeah, absolutely. This is why I'm um, excited to have you on because I wanted you to come on and talk about Luna one, but I really would like love to have you on because you know what you're talking about. You know, it's about educating the market of what, yeah. what really is a metaverse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And listen, just just to the, the point about investment, I mean, you know, I really enjoyed the movie Wolf of Wall Street. And I think anytime <laughs> people are investing, you know, you're right. There are there are bad actors, you know, in these markets yeah. that are always going to take opportunity. And it's a little bit like, you know, the uh, the country boy goes to the city, you know, like this. The, obviously, he's going to be very naive in new situations. And, you know, I feel that, you know, since cryptocurrency and blockchain projects came out, it has been a very high risk market. And it's been that, you know, when people are promoting these projects, they're promoting a token. And as I said before, people, they're not promoting it as a speculative investment. They're presenting it, you know, as investing in, you know, usually a technology platform. They want to access certain services. But of course, you know, wherever there's money, there's always going to be bad players. And so, yeah, I think crypto is an area where at the moment, you know, the last you know five to 10 years, most people are getting scammed. It's going to be in this market. But in, you know, sort of separating that metaverse projects, you know, the first metaverse project was uh, launched in 2003 called Second Life. And you know, essentially that was like uh, more like a computer game. Today, metaverses can be pretty much defined into two types of brackets. One of them is the, a metaverse that is really focused on gaming quite heavily, like um, Sandbox and Decentraland, Axie Infinity. So essentially, these are really good metaverse projects that have, you know, a certain amount of monthly users that keep coming back. You know, their tokens have been listed on exchanges for, you know, years, in fact. And so I guess they've become a fairly stable investment. And, you know, you, you could say that any new project is going to be high risk because investing in startups, obviously, you don't have access to as much information. There's not as many press releases. They don't have as many use cases. So, you know, in the crypto space, I think like with, you know, the investments in Solana, Cardano, Algorand, all of these types of tokens, you're looking to see whether they have apps that are being built on their platform. With us, it's a little bit different. A metaverse is very visual. So we have to start releasing before we completely launch 100%. We have to start leaking out video and, and graphic images of what our metaverse is going to look like. Talk about the functionality. The fact that we're not just focused on gaming, but we're focused also on shopping, studying, working, attending events. So that's, I guess, what makes the project different is that we have a focus more on creating value for humans outside of real life and in this metaverse, you know, so we're addressing things like health, mental health and study and, and creating a safe place for, you know, parents to allow their children to, to study, learn, attend events, attend concerts, et cetera. So we're, we're really trying to do something that has not been done before. And as soon as you try to do something new, you're going to get people coming out and saying it's a scam or trying to pick holes in what little information you are releasing to the market. Yeah, I love, I so love, I mean, thank you, because I so love how you clarified and explained this. Honestly, it's so, like, so good to talk to people and executives like yourself who actually understand the difference in the market and everything. Mm. And I and I do love, there's so many great metaverse projects out there. There's so many industries, yeah. fashion moving into it. Yeah. It's lifestyle, it's, it's sports. It's such a great space to be in. And I love that you, understand the nuances and the in the depth of what the metaverse is so let's talk about like luna one like like when did you start this company and i know you guys are in the metaverse and you're using blockchain but like, yeah. can we talk about what the company is doing right now 
what we have sure. to look forward to and some of the projects that you guys work on? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. So the company, you know, in terms of the technology, the technology started to be developed from 2020, actually. And it's only in 2022, earlier this year, that the project actually came out of the cave and announced itself and started to actually, you know, set up social media accounts and and websites, etc. Because, you know, when you're in the building process, you know, you you really don't want (laughs) to tell people, look, coming soon, you know, so... 2022 is really the year that we come out and and let the people know exactly you know what expectations they should have about the project. So when we first started out, it was it was actually all about the blockchain first. But you know, right now, you know, I was sort of question we we have to consider Sarah, you know, open standards in the market. And if I just use my own blockchain, for instance, before we go into the metaverse side, if basically blockchains are not compatible with each other and you need to bridge them together. And so you need to create this additional, you know, software layers to have different projects talking to each other. And I think the future of the metaverse industry is that you're not going to just have, you know, a couple of big players, but I think you'll have, you know, hundreds of metaverses that people want to move from metaverse to metaverse. And that being the case, companies adopting very popular blockchains can avoid basically locking out potential users that might spend money in their metaverse because there are so many use cases. So yeah, I mean, shopping in the metaverse right now in the metaverses that exist, the product looks very much like Minecraft or Lego. It doesn't have a very good visual appeal, but it does have the fun appeal that you know people are going to metaverse to socialize. And I think socializing and networking like people networking is probably the best use case right now for metaverses. This is the reason that they're going to come back and get involved again. And then, of course, events. So, you know, established metaverses are putting on a lot of concerts, even within gaming platforms. You know, concerts have been happening since 2020 with Fortnite. Ariana Grande and uh, Travis Scott both did concerts in what was considered to be, you know, one of the first metaverse concerts. And this is something that we're very excited about as well. Because when you put on an event in the metaverse, basically there are so many advantages that you have over doing the in real life event. And so you've actually reduced a lot of the risk involved. And then besides the risk being involved, the cost as well. So basically- Wait, 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 I'm sorry. Is Luna One, are you guys mainly focused on the event side in the metaverse? No, no, absolutely not. We're focused on five things. And so this is why I want to sort of separate the discussion yeah. about you know gaming because you know most people think about metaverse as a gaming thing. Well, but 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 it is though. But okay, so so this is maybe okay. So explain this to me because we've had esports and gaming clients. I mean, gaming is all about mm-hmm. evolved into esports, which is just teams yeah. of gamers. But it's all about because the, the technology was so advanced for multiplayers and graphics and movements as realistic as they could get back in the day. And it's so and so most of the people who are some of the bigger metaverse builders and agencies really have a tremendous gaming background, which is what I love because yeah. I mean that's pretty much what it is. But what you may I just reason why I focus on the events real quickly, because I know yeah. you've got, got to break this down, is because as an agency, the biggest thing for us when we do these big, huge events, you know, for Coachella, you had AG, Sony on the sports side, is the brands love it because they can hit masses of people on the experiential side on the ground at these events when they all have the common demographics they want. But with these events and virtuals now, 
which which is where COVID put us with Zooms and virtuals. I love the experiential. It's still the experiential, which could be argued either way, physical or virtual, but we have yeah. both now. But the virtual, I feel if I'm an artist or whatever I'm doing, is you hit a, such a mass global market where you couldn't have without the technology and platform of having the metaverse. That which is why the brands, I think, are just jumping on this because yeah. what we saw were brands a lot of we saw a lot of great projects coming out of um the fashion industry and out of UK, but then it just became a we're putting tons of money into this metaverse. There's no there there. It was so new a year ago. The brands are starting to scale back their budgets. Yes, two or three million dollars to build a tremendous metaverse, but they want to make sure what the strategy and the there there is. And I think that's the smartest thing some of these big brands could have done was to pull back and slow down a little bit so they can really strategize how and what it means and how to get where they want to. Well, I, yeah, I think, look, uh, marketing departments are doing their job really well if they're talking yeah. about metaverse because companies are always looking for new markets, right? We have the four Ps of marketing and the one that is place. The metaverse is a new place. It's just like going into a new emerging economy and, and realizing, wow, the GDP in this you know, country is rising you know, by uh, X percent in the next few years, projected figures, blah, blah, blah. So metaverse you know, is, is literally a, a completely new space for people. So if we, for instance, talk about the metaverse from an event point of view, you know, Coachella can accommodate you know, 750,000 people over six days, which is 125,000 people per day. When Travis Scott did Fortnite, there were 27 million people involved. So first of all, you don't have the restriction of the amount of people that can attend. You mentioned about, you know, having people experience that, um, you know, camaraderie with their friends and family. With the metaverse, you can have people from all around the world that are your friends and family participating with you. And then some of those benefits are no insurance, you know, no security, no medics, no drugs and alcohol, no event costs, no printed material, no sound and stage costs, no travel, no, um, so it's a, it's a much more controlled environment. So that's why, you know, events. And then, you know, if we look at the education part, which we are also focusing on to work with universities and then eventually, you know, down to even elementary schools is that with training, you know, you don't have, again, you, you're lowering the event costs. There's no fixed location. So people can access that uh, education from anywhere. There's no transport or travel costs. You don't have the printed material. There's no limit on the number of attendees. There's no dress code. So anything that you're also doing in the metaverse, you can capture marketing metrics, of course, which I think, you know, is going to be really important to your clients that you can track everything. So then, you know, metaverse shopping, right? So shops, there's no rental payments. You've got one controlled location. You can have multiple languages based on the user location. You're reducing thefts. You don't have to have as many physical products in the store. You know, you can have somebody trying on, you know, these clothings, uh, clothing and accessories without actually having to touch the products because they're doing it with an avatar. So and then if somebody does buy that in the metaverse, you can have it shipped to them, you know, through the, the closest distribution center. And then, you know, in, in terms of, you know, work, you know, people have already begun working in the metaverse, you know, Accenture already shipped out, you know, thousands and thousands of VR sets to their staff to attend staff meetings, you know, in a virtual reality environment in the metaverse. And you'll find that, you know, right now, there are a lot of companies, especially in the medical industry, that are doing their training and even surgery using 
you know, virtual reality and augmented reality. So the use cases just keep growing and growing and growing. And, you know, coming back to the thing that, you know, Mark Cuban mentioned, I mean, yeah, look, I mean, you know, people buy, buy things all the time that don't make sense, but the purpose is the joy of ownership. And the funny thing is I actually got that line from Mark Cuban back when, (laughs) back when it was talking about, I love his line about that. Back when he was talking about NFTs and people like, why the hell would I do it? He talked about the baseball card analogy and he said, well, you have the joy of ownership. And I've been using those words for Mark Cuban. So now for him to say that, you know, buying real estate is bullshit, I don't think he really means that. But, you know, if somebody feels like, hey, wow, I've just bought some property. It's right next to Snoop Dogg's house in, in this particular metaverse. Again, that's the joy of ownership. And if someone's willing to, you know, do that, that's fine. I think maybe what he really means is that if people are buying it as an investment rather than the joy of actually owning it, then yes, maybe you could say that it's bullshit because there are statistics out there right now that metaverse real estate has, you know, dropped in price from last year to this year by a significant portion. But of course, you know, I mean, the more real estate that's made available, even in real life, that can happen as well. If you flood a neighborhood with new houses, of course, the property price is going to go down. So this is, uh, you know, a natural phenomenon that's going to be happening in the metaverse as well. You know, the more real estate that's available, obviously, the uh, it affects the supply and demand. Yeah, no, and I mean, I know like his conversation was definitely taken out of context, which is, I think we always look at that as a PR firm, you know. Mm our clients quoted and you know if we're not on calls and we, we know it's just it's unfortunately that's a different conversation of the rise and fall of media you know without having <laughs> and stuff but like but, and i do get that because i know it's very convoluted in the crypto space and i, I totally want to pivot in to this but i, I want to like kind of get some clarity on you're talking about those five areas that luna one focuses on and i i, I want to really you know, give the opportunity to talk about what are those five areas that Luna One focuses on and what exactly does Luna One do? Yeah. I mean, you know, primarily what people expect from a metaverse is the expectation immediately is going to be about gaming. And it's a very reasonable expectation because of course, you know, metaverses create an extension, you know, of the evolution of gaming. So, you know, people for instance, in the Luna One metaverse, they can buy the NFT of a spaceship, fly it around in space and go on quests and earn points and, you know, encounter, you know, different experiences. But if we were just to limit it to gaming, then it wouldn't really be a metaverse. It would just be a game. Yes. So I think what defines metaverse is really creating, trying to recreate things that happen in real life in this, you know, digital world. So the everybody knows about the gaming side, the shopping side. You know, that's really interesting because the difference of what we've been trying to do is to make things hyper-realistic. So if you walked into the Tiffany shop in New York, I think it's like 57th, it's a very special shop, you know, it has a lot of history. And then you've got these beautiful products, you know, jewelry, very visually appealing, you know, the sparkle of a diamond, it's very magical. How do you recreate that in a metaverse? I can allow somebody in Indonesia to go into that store in New York by simply placing that building in a metaverse. And then the products, if the metaverse is hyper-realistic, if it really tries to mimic the the quality, the visual quality of, of what we're seeing in real life, 
then people are going to be much more likely to buy it. So, you know, brands entering the metaverse have done this a little bit as a novelty and with NFTs. And, you know, look, creating collectibles and exclusives and limited editions, I think this is a way that brands can engage and excite new audiences and also, you know, keep the loyalty of their existing audiences. So, you know, there are brands that I love. For instance, Coca-Cola as a brand, I love this brand. You know, always great advertising, great products, very interesting. I've had them as a client before. And, you know, them, like one of the limited edition things was when I was a kid was the Coca-Cola yo-yo. You know, the Coca-Cola mm-hmm. yo-yo is, is basically a collector's item, you know, for all humans. And, you know, these guys putting NFTs into the digital space has really, you know, excited young audiences. And if you look at a brand like Tiffany's, you know, what's really exciting is that they're able to break the demographic by, you know, working with like, for instance, they work with crypto punks that if you have a crypto punk NFT, you can now go into Tiffany's, spend $50,000 and get a, literally a jewelry pendant of the NFT. So I think this is a brilliant you know, way that they can find completely new audiences that would never have gone into a Tiffany's because the only man that's going to usually be in Tiffany's is a boyfriend, fiance, or husband who's been dragged in by the arm of his, uh, his lady. But now suddenly you've got these young guys with a lot of cash to spare dropping $50,000 to buy jewelry in Tiffany's. I mean, that's marketing genius to me. So the shopping... That's what, that's what Gucci did. Gucci has done a tremendous job, but Gucci, to take it a step further, they were kind of think the first retail out to market on this was you could buy a product very specifically, you know, virtual goods up in the metaverse, but you get the NFT and it's like the one of a kind products. They started doing exclusive, exactly. which I love. And so we, so we had this um, work with Subnation is tied into Fred Siegel's here in LA, the Fred Siegel's flagship on Sunset. And they have yeah. a big deal with them. And there was this, they, they do the whole um, arcade there and for NFTs and metaverse. And there's this gold bracelet I saw just, you know, because we work with them and beautiful gold yeah. bracelet. And I was like, oh my God. So I was emailing like, you know, Doug Scott, he's our chief creative director and a good friend. I'm like, I need to have this bracelet. I need, or this ring is so beautiful. Like, like what the hell, where am I getting this? And then, okay. then it's like, oh yeah, easy. This amazing designer, beautiful jewelry. It'd be amazing. It's like $200,000 for the NFT. And then you get, the ring with that <laughs> NFT. And yeah. I love that they're changing. No, no, no. That ring is 200 grand. I just get a JPEG image of it. But no, it's the NFT, you know, it's like, it's like that whole play and it cracks me up because there is some, I mean, I think I'm more, I mean, okay, I'm more impressed with the experiential up in the metaverse, right? I think it's amazing. And since COVID, people don't want to be out with crowds. I mean, let's just be honest. Our world is not going to go back to the way it ever was before pre-COVID, but I love, like, I'm a little bit more obsessed on the fashion side. Some of these mm. fashion brands are really killing it in, yes. in the metaverse. Yeah, there's, there's actually a few fashion weeks that have, you know, partnered with uh, yeah. metaverse projects. Again, though, you know, one of the, the limitations is, again, if the, the visual aspect of the metaverse is limiting how good the product looks, then I have a bit of a problem with that. <laughs> so, you know, well, we're wait, trying- wait, let me ask, let me ask you, because like, I, I so love this conversation with you, like, and how in depth we are getting, but take your company and everything out of, like, out of your head on this. And yeah. I love that comment. It, when it starts distracting from the brand or the, the quality of the whatever product, 
I yeah. agree with you. If it's just say, hey, be in a virtual world, buy certain things, which I know is a long-term play for some clients because it's a big bill. Yeah. Do you really think, okay, once two-part question, Daniel. One, yeah. where do you think the metaverse is going? Like, what industries is it going to be strong in? And what part of it, honestly, is kind of bullshit that's going to probably die out like any new technology and innovation like AI, VR, everything we've been through. It's so big. It's all a gangbuster thing. And then after yeah. a year, the leaders stay in it because it's so expensive and they continue and everybody else just kind of moves on to something yeah. else. Like, where is your, like, your thought on the two or three biggest industries that will be sustainable and all these other stuff? Is it just fraying noise and how realistic is it for these guys? Because I guarantee you at least 90% are not going to be in business in a year or they're unrealistic knowing, thinking, do you have to have a hard product or an act like a concert, a live event to keep the metaverse going? Or like, give me your kind of 360 view on all of this. Yeah, you're right. I mean, look, is is a platform going to be sticky enough that people are going to just keep coming back for more and more and more and more, right? I think that gaming, you know, gaming is so interesting because you know, things started out in gaming. It's just, you know, very, very simple games like Pac-Man and Space Invaders and things. And then it evolved into starting to look. People started to judge gaming on the graphics, right? I want the graphics to look great. And then we saw this evolution getting to, you know, games like Call of Duty and uh, Fortnite, etc., where things really looked at GTA, looked really realistic, right? And that was sort of driving, you know, game development. And then something completely different happened. Roblox and Minecraft and these games started to become popular. And they don't look as visually, they don't try to be realistic, right? But what they do is they incorporate socializing. So, you know, when my kids are playing Minecraft, they're playing online with other friends and talking to them within the game and playing together. And they're not in the same location. So I think this Exactly. And, and I think, um, I think Sarah, that, that the whole thing with Metaverse is you, you've got to be bringing people together. You got, that's the value. That's that extra value. So if we take study for an example, the first, when I was doing my MBA, basically it was in person, right? So we would actually hang out. We'd have these three-day workshops. You get put into a team. The last day of the workshop, you would be presenting your assignment. So you're working for three days on this assignment, you know, with mix, mixed lectures and, uh, and breakout groups. And I really love meeting people doing that and working with different minds, you know, different points of view, you know, to get this done. It was fantastic. And then the next time, you know, when I was doing my law degree, it was totally online, except for one week where we did meet up, but uh, it was totally online. And I actually found that a lot more difficult working in a group when you're not actually face to face and, you know, it's a virtual sort of group. And, you know, what they would call, you know, an online course would be basically a repository of documents. So basically you log in, there's some PowerPoints there, some Word documents, some PDFs. And going online, a lot of people, there was a stigma about this. Well, like, is that studying for for real? You know, it's just online. So I think that was like a backward step in some ways because you're losing that human appeal. But on the other end, yes, okay, more people can, again, access from anywhere around the world. So if we're going to talk about study in the metaverse, we want to bring back that human element. We want to bring that back that even whether you're using VR or AR or just, you know, through a website is trying to bring that connection back. And if there's no human connection, then obviously, you know, it's it's just literally a retro game. <laughs> so this is, this is all about socializing. This is all about people spending time together, creating relationships and valuing those relationships. So if you've got best friends in the metaverse, then you're going to keep going back. 
Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I think like, I mean, we're human creatures. We are all craving mm. community to engage, yeah. share. And since COVID has given us a better opportunity to totally to share and to communicate and everything as well. So I think that was yeah. a great catapult to the metaverse. It's just, I just feel like unless you really understand, like you said, how to bring them together, the stickiness, how to keep mm-hmm. giving people what they need and everything. I think it's I, I'm, it's just going to be interesting to see how many of these companies are going to actually make it over the next, or by the end of the year, you know, into next yeah, year. Yeah, well, I mean, it comes back to, if you know, you look at the statistics for how many businesses, you know, survive for two years, regardless of industry. You know, it's it's uh, a very small amount. It's, you know, people will quote like, you know, 80% of businesses in the first two years, you know, go bust. In this space, it's probably more. Uh, but, you know, I guess you're looking at what is the barrier of entry. So it costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of strong vision and execution to, you know, pull off building a metaverse. And then knowing that you've got, you know, Facebook now named Meta. Uh, yeah lurking around with a huge budget and a huge pool of talent, you know, then companies like us, Everdome and, you know, other really great metaverse projects that look, you know, very realistic and and have a lot of different appeal about what they want to offer their audience. We have to justify that, hey, you know, how how can we possibly compete like that? But, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody is as a new startup, everybody in the company is completely focused on one thing. But when Facebook decided they're going to become meta and instead of just being a social media platform, they're going to now move in to be a metaverse company. Most people in the company had no idea what that even meant. They weren't trained up to say, right, you know, in 12 months, like change management, you know, in 12 to 18 months, we're going to shift over to this. So a lot of people were, you know, confused and, and frightened about, you know, their career path and how they fit into this new strategy. So, yeah, I mean, the small players have some level of advantage in that. But of course, you know, the budgets that the small players are working with, particularly in marketing. And I think, you know, it comes back to a little bit like the music industry. Somebody could record the greatest album of all time, but unless it's marketed with tens of millions of dollars, nobody's going to hear it. And I think it's the same with metaverse, you know, that we're spending all this money to build metaverses, but can we actually get in, first of all, the awareness and then into the hearts and minds of people so, yeah, I think that, uh, of course, just like with the ICO days, you know, most of the companies won't make it. So it really does come down to the people behind the project, I think. And I see a lot of projects when there's no team page or the team, you know, they have just first names and then some type of cartoon image. And I really wonder if the if the team is not listed on the website, is it a company or is it a project? And, you know, a lot of these things call themselves projects. And that makes me nervous because, you know, people are investing money, you know, into these ventures. And if you can't basically get the answers that you need, because it's a startup, of course, things are private. There's very little information being distributed. Yeah, I think it's very difficult for people not to be, to put themselves, you know, in a high risk position in terms of what money they're investing. I think it's going to be tough. I think there's going to be a lot of changes. And I just think it's just going to be interesting to really see what's going to happen over the course of between now and the end of the year, you know, yeah. we just don't know. 
No, absolutely. You know, time will tell. But it's like any new industry. The big players will move more slowly and they have a much better chance of surviving because they can make mistakes. But, you know, small startups, if you make a mistake, you know, you can alienate the entire market by making a misstep. I would treat, you know, metaverse projects and even NFTs, you know, as a high risk product that does require somebody to really do their own research, look into the company, look into the product, look at the social media and, you know, see what's being published, et cetera, to determine how authentic and, and how real the project seems. Yeah. What are, so, okay, what are your favorite industries that you really want to see embrace, adapt and engage and innovate into the meta space over the next yeah. year? Yeah. <laughs> I guess, um, you know, I'm a little bit of a hippie at heart sometimes because uh, I want to see that metaverses can really help humans just just like, you know, other, te- other technologies have, you know, such as, you know, electricity, for instance, and, you know, access to clean water. I hope metaverse will deliver things to humans that, that can enhance their life rather than just being, you know, that's why I, I really sort of drag away from the conversation in gaming. So I think studying is something, education in in the metaverse, I think that's really important. There's a university in Japan, the University of Tokyo have already announced they're delivering courses in the metaverse so that, um, you know, they can give more enriched environment. I think the medical industry, you know, that people are already using, they can do a CAT scan of the patient and then use augmented reality glasses, AR glasses to look basically like an x-ray right through the body and see exactly where they're working. So spinal surgery, neurosurgery, you know, in general, these, these are areas I think that have already demonstrated the potential. And, you know, Johnson & Johnson are using VR and, and basically sort of tipping themselves into the metaverse by training surgeons all around the world without needing to go and actually physically put people on the ground, but instead shipping VR kits. So I think education and, you know, health medicine and mental health, creating an environment where people can feel more confident and, you know, less, I guess, less conscious about, you know, what other people might think or feel. There's, there's certain, you know, stigmatisms about, for instance, attending Alcoholics Anonymous, because when you go to your local AA, you're probably going to bump into people from your community. Whereas if you were doing AA in the metaverse, and you might be able to turn your avatar off and, and be completely anonymous or with, you know, getting a therapist, I mean, these are areas that are really going to make life better for people that we've already had a lot of people that have approached us that, you know, they, their children have mobility issues or, or, you know, some type of disability. And, you know, can the metaverse deliver experiences for those children to enhance their life? So the quality of life. So these, I think, education and study are the ones that I think really are going to stick. And then, of course, working, you know, people working in the metaverse. So, for instance, underground mining, people can control machinery through virtual reality from any part of the world without having to, you know, enter a tunnel, reducing the risk in the workplace. So, yeah, I think these are some of the areas that that really excite me. I love and I love that you said that because it's all about, you know, there's so many people who are just trying to make the quick buck on an NFT or a metaverse yeah. so they can brag for their ego. Look, I'm in the metaverse. I want to yeah. get all these people, make all this money. And it's like, you really are not going to make tons of money in the metaverse unless you're really attached to, I, in my opinion, a high needed brand like a Gucci, the fashion cars and those NFTs. I don't think people are going 
to be spending the money. I don't think people are going to be making money in the metaverse. Because I know so many of these guys that are trying to build this out of Miami that are just kind of bullshit artists. That just because, yeah. you know, hey, I just started my web... 3.0 company a few months ago and they're convincing people who don't understand it to pay all this money to do rev shares and that they're going to handle all this through coins and I, I just don't see that i think that's going to be that's going to die out very quickly and screw a lot of people over but the fact that the future like you just said that you know medicine education therapies it's like you're actually using technology for good to better people's life because you have the innovation and the technology platform to do so. Yeah. And that to me is, I think, is a tremendous pivot to really what we're doing. Yeah, we're, I mean, obviously companies are all out to make money. They're all out to innovate. But the fact that you are not running your company based on your ego, you're running it to look at where can you apply this technology to better an industry, a community, a life, you know, uh, the, the globe from all these areas that are so critical I just think that's tremendous. Like this is a yeah. tremendous path to go down that I'm so happy you said that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is, this is why a lot of people that are excited about, you know, Luna One from the gaming point of view, you know, sometimes I'll do an interview and they're like, why didn't you talk about gaming more? I, I came here for gaming. And I was like, well, look, I really do appreciate people being excited about, you know, gaming in the Luna One metaverse. There's already, you know, you probably already got a PlayStation. You probably already got an Xbox, <laughs> you know, so. Okay, so you know what's funny? So you know funny? I do not. When, remember when, like way back when the gaming industry was just starting out? Yeah. I'm like, I'm not a gamer. I mean, we're, I'm a PR for my, I'm, not, I'm a PR, I'm a fashion girl. I'm not a gaming girl. I have friends that are very big in the gaming industry. I'm running some big companies. They're like, okay, we're going to get you. I had a game box. I it was, it was a THQ or somebody was a client of ours gave me their, you know, all their stuff. So I'm like, okay, I have all this equipment. I didn't pay for their clients. I got tried out. I am definitely going to be, you know, get into the thing and have a gaming thing. So they said, they said everything, everything was set up for me. Like, okay, Sarah, we need a call sign. We need your call sign. So I'm like, oh, well, shit. And I need something cute and catchy, you know, whatever your gamer call is. So I'm like, okay, we'll do Glamour Girl LA, being in LA. And here I was. Yeah. And so I had, I'm like, wait, Glamour Girl LA, it's available. They took Glamour Girl LA. It was had it been like 10 years ago. <laughs> I never once used, picked up, turned that game box on, never signed in, never was a gamer. But my Glamour yeah. Girl LA has literally followed me. It's like my Twitter, <laughs> my Instagram, my yeah. Facebook. I am Glamour Girl LA all over because like, took that on across all social platforms way when gaming first started before social became big. So it's so yeah. funny because like everybody like, it's like glamour girl lays, you know, my thing and on my platforms, it was only created when we try to set me up in a gaming account. <laughs> I've never once been a gamer, never once cared enough about it, but yeah. I got so fortunate that my name, I own that name throughout. I'm never <laughs> keeping it up, but like, it's just, it's, it's crazy how much has evolved from the gaming industry. But like, I, I just, my thing is to innovate, inspire and implement. And honestly, as from a gaming, like you said, from a gaming standpoint, the root of where this started to innovate, inspire and innovate, we're taking the three eyes and we're moving that into, like you said, education, med, everything we need as a survivable 
economy down the road to save lives. And that to me, like that to me is a real trajectory of where a metaverse needs to look at, not the quick, let's do an NFT, use ETH and buy a product, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, people were paying, you know, and and Madonna paid $700,000 for her board APO club NFT. (laughs) $700,000 there. I mean, you know, like I don't imagine too many people, you know, are dropping that sort of cash. But this is is where this is going. When this whole NFT, like, oh my God, look, okay, not, I mean, I get it. We're a huge tech agency. We're all about tech and innovation. But to me, it's a it's a freaking JPEG of a monkey and a good yeah. point for creating that trend. But when you think it through, NFTs and the metaverse are not for everyday people. It is for the very, very top 3% of the wealthy who could drop a million bucks on a monkey to turn it for 2 million, 3 million, 10 million, all, yeah. all Bitcoin, all currency, all ETH. I think there's such a delusion of companies who want to be in the metaverse because they've seen this in the news, but they paid for that membership. People don't have 700,000 drop on a membership unless they are a celebrity, a basic heir to billions of dollars, an athlete who's it. I could spend a million. I'm making 20 a year. One's not going to kill me. I mean, that is not the 90% of our economy or the globe. So this is why I'm laughing at all the people I'm seeing who are spending money to get into this. (laughs) <laughs> They're not going to get that. And okay, which goes back to my second, my spinning back to, you know, it's like the stock market going for a yeah. circle. The market's dropped, crypto's dropped. I think I lost almost 10 grand in my crypto wallet. I just let in it right out the last few grand I have when it dropped. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Bitcoin is Bitcoin. ETH is expensive. You know, if I want one, if I to buy a Bitcoin, it's like 20 grand right now. Like, do yeah. I have that? No, that doesn't do shit. Spending four or 500 grand to get enough Bitcoins to play in that field is yeah. different. But let's be honest. We know that's the Madonnas of the world, which is not everyday people that are just going to go on to buy books and everyday stuff on any yeah. universe. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, you know, that's, you know, trends that new trends like this and hype that comes out. You know, people uh, that are in the position that they, it's not going to hurt them can get involved very, very easily. In the same way, like as you said, you know, you buy, let's say you did buy, you know, one Bitcoin and it's $20,000 and then the market recovers and, you know, it gets back to 40,000. You've made 20 grand. That's great. But that's only 20 grand. I mean, you know, that's not going to set you up. So, you know, a lot of people have gotten rich by buying tokens or coins very, very early in, you know, when they were a fraction of a cent. And then, you know, they finally hit a dollar and suddenly, you know, you've got these very, very young people that, you know, have on paper, you know, a billionaires. But yeah, it's it's a game that, you know, by the time the masses started to realize, hang on a second, this may actually be a good investment. It was already pretty much too late by that stage, you know, for most tokens and certainly for Bitcoin, because, you know, that barrier of entry is so expensive. So, I just, I just, uh, my thing is where I think if, like you said, moving into med education where you can hit the mass markets that lower barriers to entry there's a better adoption rate i'm just like not laughing i feel bad but kind of laughing that people who don't really know tech act like they do because some cold call some sales pitch somebody preyed on them knew they could take advantage of them tell them what they want to hear and they just hammered a lot of money into something that's never going to give them the return they want and unless you really know 
the technology enough to monitor the platform, to dig yeah. into the trails of where the money's going and coming. Yes, you could you could open a wallet with a credit card or bank account, but you can't buy an NFT without using ETH or Bitcoin. And if you think that you could use credit cards to buy NFTs, oh, you're getting screwed over so bad by the people you're working with. You convinced you of that, that are using you to make money. I mean, I'm just, I yeah. just think, you look, the SEC is going to come down, but I think 95% of people right now who are bragging about, I have my own metaverse, I'm doing this. Ah, man, they're, they're, they're going to be hurting people within year because all these vendors, they're looking at these small guys are seeing an opportunity to steal yeah. money or to not be honest with them. And we've had these conversations and the things I'm hearing from people, oh, we're using credit cards. Ethereum does our credit cards. Ethereum is not a credit card processor yeah. or a bank. And if somebody's telling you that, to think that, you are literally going to be hemorrhaging money and you will not see a penny back if they're managing your stuff from, you know, that aspect on the metaverse of managing it. And, and we're going to see this next big wave of so much scam and fraud. So I think, yeah. it, I, I do think within six to nine months, a lot of these companies be pissed off. Shit, we spent this money. We're not making the money we need. Why isn't this yeah. going anywhere? You can't blame anybody because you made uneducated decisions with people yeah. who came out of the woodwork. They're all over the place and they're, they're taking advantage of you. If you're going to go with the reputable company, we get a lot of clients and people asking, who do we work with? Who can we refer them that we trust that are credible to do what's right by them? And I got to yeah. tell you, I got like maybe two or three I would actually make referral to. There's so much noise out there and unrealistic shit because it's a, it's a land grab. People are not just thinking, hey, I could buy an NFT for 200 bucks and sell it for 3 million. There's people who are preying on people, small companies who aren't tech savvy to tell them to let them build and manage these accounts. And so I just, I feel like more than any other innovations come to market, like AR, VR, all this stuff you've talked about, this this is going to destroy the industry and economy within a year. But people that are smart and intuitive who are using metaverse, like you said, education, med, all that stuff. I think that's where the true leadership is going to shine and really be able to pull through this unscathed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, look, it's funny because when I've gone to events, you know, blockchain events and crypto events, most of the time, like I actually, I had a stand with a company, which was a cryptocurrency exchange. And I started talking with, you know, the other guys that had stands, the other people that have, um, you know, basically paid to, to be there. Everybody in this space is running around trying to get money, trying to, to raise funds as you said, like it's, it's, you know, off the back of a napkin. I've noticed like in the last 12 months, all of these people I know on LinkedIn and I know their career and I can look at their profile. They've got metaverse now written up, you know, in their title. <laughs> Wait, but, you, but you know that that's the new thing. Somebody just, somebody just posted, I am the new metaverse, chief metaverse officer of this big I'm looking at that right now. And I'm laughing. You have, you have no knowledge, no history. So how the hell do you, what, what, what's going on with this? I got approached by somebody the other day offering me metaverse consulting. I looked at their profile. They've never worked on a metaverse with a metaverse company. And, you know, not, not to be arrogant, but, you know, I'm in a metaverse company. I'm, you know, every day, this is my day job. Oh my God. I say be arrogant. I say be arrogant and be confident because you're one of the very few people who could honestly say, 
I've been in this space. I know this space. Yeah. I can define this space. I can innovate this space by experience yeah. publicly. Every I'm laughing because oh my god, because every there's so many people I know who are an expert, a VR, AR expert, a gaming expert, um, esports, and yeah. AI. Oh, I'm a crypto. I'm the Bitcoin expert. Now I'm a metaverse. I'm an NFT. You have 20 million titles every year. A new three letter word comes out, but they are not experts exactly. in anything. They're just trying yeah. to play the game to shuffle. They get paid a lot of money to say they are. Exactly. It was like, you know, when all the ICOs came out, starting from about 2015, when that market started to warm up and then 2017, 2018, everybody, everybody I knew, you know, had an ICO project, you know, they've uh, put together a white paper, a website, you know, put a few of their friends up as the team and, and bang, hey, we're out there raising money, you know, and uh, making, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollars on a raise and never delivering a product. This is what I really hate is that, you know, you're raising money with, you know, what we call a minimum viable product, an MVP, but you haven't realized, you know, at that point that there's a very good chance that what you set out to do is not going to happen. You're not going to be able to deliver. But basically, yeah, they, you know, they, they don't consider the risk. Obviously, in the, in the startup scene, you know, startups are very opportunistic and, and they're based on trends. You know, startups, obviously, somebody sees that there's a market there for something and then they jump on board. But yeah, I mean, this is where people get scammed, as, as you say, you know, without having good knowledge. If you're going to invest in, let's say we go back to Coca-Cola, right? The company has a history. It has a board. It has big shareholders. It has small shareholders. It publishes. Well, it's a legacy. It has it has a legacy, yeah. a brand legacy that is yes. based on trust and yes. over the years on the brand. And to me, those are the companies I'm going to bank on because they already have that legacy that they know. Yeah. They 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 know what they know, and they own their leadership. They're not trying to own another one that they have no experience or trust in. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And then when you come back and look at startups and investing in startups, they don't make much information public. So, you know, for Luna One, we have these ask me anything sessions. And in Discord, we get asked questions all of the time in our AMA channel. Every time I'm in the in Discord, you know, I'm answering questions for the community. But usually you don't have access to, you know, getting information to help make that decision, should I invest or not? And this is why there's so much risk in, the, yeah, in this industry. I, I know people who are on Discord and they're all excited. Like I have a Discord channel. They don't know what the heck they're talking about. And it's scary that they're so excited. They're on Discord to talk about their product, but they really don't. They don't. There's a lot of developers, a lot of R&D guys, a lot of savvy people on there. So if you're yeah. not smarter than these guys in the industry, they're going to tear you to shreds on there. And I just, it's sad. It's, it's, it's sad. I just think it's just a lack of education and people praying on other people, telling them they know metaverse when they don't. It's just, it's it's just an interesting dynamic. And then also, you know, on the flip side, you know, people come out and say, oh, this project is a scam. And, and then I, I go back and I say, well, hang on a second. Who are you? Your alias is, you know, ABC123, you know, like yeah. a Florida guy, you know, something like that. These are anonymous people basically taking shots at a project, but they're not in a position to judge because, you know, they don't have, they haven't invested in, in projects of a similar nature. And maybe they don't understand how a metaverse is built. Maybe they don't understand, you know, the development cycle. And there's a lot of complicated issues, for instance, in building a metaverse that people are not aware of, but because there's not a lot of 
public information out there, it's very easy that people attack the project. And, and I'm constantly, you know, getting abuse and attacks. And, you know, I just tell people, look, I'm human. This is my day job. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm building a company here. We're, we're delivering what we're saying. We're sticking to our roadmap. But people can be very, very difficult. You get the trolls, basically. And then on the other hand, you've got people that do understand what you're doing. They're very, very loyal and very committed. And, and they will fight tooth and nail to see the project succeed and to try to, you know, quell these um, negative voices. But yeah, I mean, this this is still the Wild West right yeah. now. I mean, anything to do with blockchain and crypto. Uh, you <laughs> it's know, the wild, it's, wild West. <sighs> yeah, it is. And it still is. And that's not going to change because, you know, it's so easy. You know, as I said, you, you get a website together, you get a, a couple of snippets of graphics or video and then bang, you're out there. And people could accuse us of similar things because with a metaverse project, it takes a hell of a lot more time than, you know, just creating a blockchain protocol which is projects that I've been involved in. I mean, you can build a cryptocurrency exchange in a matter of months, but a metaverse is something that obviously is going to take uh, years because you're recreating the the process, you know, of of gaming. I mean, if you look at the big gaming companies, you know, they spend years developing games, and then once that game becomes popular, obviously they they keep pouring money into new versions yeah. and new upgrades, and they can do in-game purchases and they can really monetize the thing. But yeah, I mean, this industry, I think, is is pretty plagued by the, the tarnished reputation of the ICOs, the tarnished reputation of NFTs. And, you know, the next next will be the tarnished reputation of metaverses that don't come to life. Yeah. I just think I you know, just this people just it's they don't understand. They want a quick. I look at me ego. I'm in this space. That's hot. But if you don't know anything about the space, your best is sidelining until you have the time to understand it. And I'd rather do it the right way or not do it at all. There's going to be a lot of failures. But like, I hate, so we are running out of time. I feel like we need another podcast. I (laughs) absolutely love talking with you. But but for right next week, I know we got to wrap. Luna One, people could find you at Luna One, L-U-N-A-O-N-E, like the number one, dot com, correct? Yes, that's right. Yes. LunaOne.com. And you're based out of Australia. Oh, actually, no. I just happen to be in Australia now. Oh. Uh, where, but, uh, where you... I spent the last 20 years in Hong Kong. We have senior management in the USA, in the UK, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia. We're, Perfect. Uh, Hong you're Kong. Global. So we you're are global. global. Definitely, yeah. Uh, we've got people spread everywhere around the world. So Luna uh, One is a global company. Yes. Oh, my God. It's so exciting. Daniel, it's so good having you on i know you're just getting your day started over there in australia but thank you for taking the time to get up early to talk to us it was amazing we're definitely going to stay in touch with you but until then this is sarah miller from media mavens podcast i'm here with daniel puzni at luna one and we'll see everybody next week thank you for joining us for this episode of the media mavens podcast if you don't want to miss an episode or want to download past episodes Be sure to subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit MediaMavensPodcast.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.